Hi, I'm Jane Garvey. And I'm Fee Glover. Off Air with Jane and Fee is going live. We are taking to the stage at the amazing Crucible Theatre in Sheffield on Friday the 31st of May. It'll be a night full of surprises. We'll have a special guest, we'll involve you in the audience and we'll embarrass ourselves. You really won't want to miss it. Well, the surprises, we don't yet know what's in it, so it genuinely is a night of surprises. Well, you've surprised me already. Uh, it's not just us. Our live show is part of an exciting new podcast festival called Cross wires which is taking place in some really amazing venues across sheffield from the 31st of may to the 2nd of june so other podcasters that you'll be able to see include katie price Catherine ryan romash ranganathan and the original adam buxton but there's also a whole host of free fringe events family shows surprise acts and after parties that jane and i haven't yet been invited to I'm sure it's only a matter of time. Head to crosswires.live for tickets and more information. Hi. (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) Can we use that as the start? Hello everybody, it's The Ruck. This is the Times and Sunday Times weekly podcast. Stephen Jones here standing in for Lawrence. Lawrence has got a, a day of big business meetings today. He's been off with the post of Earth's ambassador on Mars. So he's gone off to the red planet today to discuss it with the Martians. But that's just a small deal by Lawrence's um, normal standard. So he'll be back in several years um, to croak, uh, sorry, to to, um, <laughs> to croak at this. Sounds like he's evolved his excuses from the punctual Tokyo trains they're, not turning up on time. They're coming on. They're coming They're coming on all the time. Fair play to him. Anyway, we'll miss Lawrence today. We'll particularly miss him on the uh, Saracens dispute, speaking as a member of the WASP board. But... Um, <laughs> There, there was some great rugby on the weekend, and at the end of the, when the dust had settled on Europe, Exeter, Leinster, Toulouse were going great guns, and so were Saracens, or at least they were on Saturday against Munster in a, in a fantastic game. It's boiling up nicely in some areas. In some areas in England, it's going down like a lead balloon. We'll come to that shortly. First of all, two of us on the panel were there at Alliance Park on Saturday. I'll just introduce you, Stuart Barnes was there, although in a fa- fairly um, low-profile role. But we, but we won't go into that because it's too painful. He's so sensitive. Be nice to him. Oh, you've, you've already got level with Lawrence. You have to have a go at everyone. All right. Owen Slot was there for some particular reason. Oh, no, sorry. He was reporting it for the Times. So, and Alex Lowe, the man who knows everything, wasn't there because he was taking the day off. Because he already knew what was going to happen. Exactly. But he has now read the whole of the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> and he knows the last paragraph of it as well. So he's read the whole thing. Owen, I know no one else is bothered about this, but we were in magnificent new temporary accommodation at Alliance Park, and we were suspended over the play itself. And in fact, when the fight started, you almost felt that you want to go in and join in, didn't you? Yeah, so so just to explain, it, Alliance Park's being... The, the stand that we normally sit in is being rebuilt, and so there's a temporary stand, there's a temporary press area, and we are literally sort of five yards back from the pitch and 15 yards uh, in the air. I mean, mm. not not suspended, not like mm. sort of Harry Potter-like, but we are, we're in a stand 15 yards up. And um, and so you are sitting right over the, the action. So the fight happened right under our noses. It was it was a brilliant way to watch the game. But also, I haven't seen a game that, a game of that quality so close up where 
you appreciate so much of the 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 the, the elements of the skill that you see the, the the physicality and the hits so much but it's the skill and the decision making the speed of everything when it's right under your nose like that it, it is it really it was electrifying it was do you know what we were so close it made me feel sorry for players sometimes because max malins who played brilliantly the young uh, the young saracens fly half who actually played at fullback when the ball was up in the air, the box kick, and poor old Max is looking up there wondering what to do with half a Munster coming down on him, the coaches on the touchline would shout, Run it! <laughs> before he'd caught it. And he did it once, and he ran straight into trouble. So I think there was too much coming on from the touchline. Stuart, um, let's be fair, Munster have had a lot of problems with Saracens, but they did take them pretty much all the way this time, didn't they? Yeah, they did. I thought Saracens were nowhere near their best. I thought we saw it was gutsy, it was gritty, it was all those emotional things you expect from Saracens. But I think they were a little bit inaccurate, and because of that, it kept Munster in a game with way when Saracens are at the best doesn't happen. Uh, and that's the thing with Munster. If you don't put them away, they will never give up. They have got immense commitment, huge pride, and they, of course, were playing for a lot themselves. If they could have sneaked to win there, it would have put them in a great position to qualify from that pool. As it is now, it's a very, very delicate battle, and Munster are going to have to win in Paris. Otherwise, I think their goose is cooked. And you have to sort of wonder that, what if? Because they lost Peter Armani before the game started. He pulled us pulled a something, didn't he? And... Um, Tyg Byrne went off after yeah. within 10 minutes or something. I mean, those would be two of their, their biggest, best forwards. It, it, That's it, quite a big loss. It, it changed things considerably because the Munster line-out, I think that they, they, with Omani and Byrne there, they were looking to dominate line-outs. They didn't have an out-and-out open side. And within 15 minutes, Tommy O'Donnell was on. But having said that, you know, O'Donnell, good, did, O'Donnell did really well over the ground. So... What Munster may have lost in their plan for, for uh, set-piece dominance, they gained a lot because I thought O'Donnell was probably the best scrapper on the floor in that match. I also think, don't you also think, though, lads, that um, when you say what if, Saras- Munster wouldn't have scored a try if they'd still been out there now. No. And on the other hand, what if Skelton and Barrett and Itoji had been playing? So, you know, uh, I, I thought they had that well in hand. And great news for England, I thought, was the two Vunapolas came so strongly at the end. I love sports photography. My favourite rugby picture of the weekend was of Mako in, in the game. There's a wonderful shot of the melee going on all around him. Players gr- grabbing each other by the collar and steam rising. And Mako's just standing right in the middle of it, taking a swig of water from his bottle. It's absolutely (laughs) brilliant. You've got to look it up. It's it's my favourite rugby picture of the weekend. Fantastic. Let's just clarify that, Alex. We like sports photography. We just don't like photographers. Uh, Yeah. Okay, thanks very much. Um, We then had um, Dr. Gate, when uh, a a little lad wearing a a red woolly hat seemed to approach Jamie George and, and shout something almost in his face. We found out afterwards he was the head medical man, Mr. Woolly Hat, and um, uh, Jamie George, I think it would be out wider than mark to say that Jamie George gave it a really good re- um, reception, whatever he said. <laughs> it then boiled over into what was described as a brawl, but wasn't really. It was a big gathering of people. Oh, and um, let's be fair, it was slightly amusing in a way, but in another way, absolutely ridiculous. It was ridiculous that it was sparked the way it, it, that triggered the way it was. That a, a medic who should be looking after people should be um, triggering off potentially the opposite of that. The the, the fight wasn't really a, a fight. I don't think anyone sort of got remotely um, bruised or. or, or. <laughs> 
Sorry, Alex has just shown me the picture of Mako having a drink <laughs> in the middle of this the ba- the Battle of Alliance Park. What I found interesting is you you again when we're sitting right over the the game, you you can hear a lot of what what they're saying to each other, and um and you you hear some of the exchanges between the players, and you're reminded of how they have to um the the the, the test that they have to 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 keep their cool uh, in order to, to to play a game of high intensity and courage and and, and physicality for for 80 minutes uh, and and then it, it it takes just a little trigger of someone from off the side of the pitch and someone mm. just blows like that especially when it's Jamie George who we know is a, is a cool calm and, and very impressive uh, young athlete so I don't think anyone believes that the, the the slanderous comment laid at him was just you're a bit of a fat no, there are reports which we can't um, confirm that it was something more than that. Stuart, on the side of the pitch, when you played, <laughs> and I know we're going back a long time now, yeah. when you played, um, do you remember the hordes of people being on the touchline, supernumeraries, water people running up and down? Because to be honest, if, if one thing comes out of this, it'd be nice if they tell everybody else to get back in the ruddy stand where they belong. Two things there. One, no, the people, the, the the replacements would find a patch to warm up. It wouldn't be within two metres of the pitch. They'd be sat down on the touchline at the wreck or wherever we played in the dugout at Welford Road and they would quietly do a bit of a hamstring stretch here, a neck roll if you were a prop forward there, but they wouldn't be... A fag here. They, they mm. were, well, if, when John Palmer was on the bench, plenty of fags. But what they wouldn't be doing is getting off and shouting orders that were emanating down from the coach... And it's the fundamental failure of the professional game. It does not encourage individuals to think for themselves because your point, Steve, about Max Malin's getting someone shouting in his ear, telling him what to do before he's done the essential thing is the problem. You cannot keep shouting. Rugby isn't a match. It's not American football where you, you complete a play, you stop, there's the next play. Rugby is fluid, and the strength of rugby is its fluidity. But when you've got idiots shouting down, when they look over from their... their um, their computer and and have studied the statistics and they're saying to the left to the left to the right goes to down the middle it does not help you as a, as a fly half as a scrum half as a number eight as a mm. decision maker you want to have a little bit of space in your head to think your thoughts through to make quick decisions you don't make quick decisions when the whole world is shouting at you so i thought what we saw there was actually uh, and not just an indictment of, of manners on the touchline from the Munster medical team, but it was also an indictment of professionalism. And I think the teams that understand that and get back to players making decisions will be stronger for it. Uh, um, Alex, before we go back to the actual incident there, but uh, there's that fair enough from Stuart that, first of all, you know, there's too many people screaming, but actually they should leave it to players anyway, never mind where you're sitting or standing. Yeah, so I, I've got uh, young boys who are, who are just starting to learn to play sport. And one of the things that, that you're told when you're coaching kids is don't don't shout at them while they're trying to play because it just confuses the matter. They're the ones in the... In, on the field, that they have to make their own mind up. They have to see what what they see in front of them. So, if it, if you shouldn't do it to kids, I don't think you should be doing it to a professional rugby player who who has got the feel of the game on on, on the pitch. Exactly. There's a great tweet by um, Gary Street, the uh, former England women's coach, on the weekend. Obviously, he'd been at a, at a, a youngsters match. He said, "Why on earth?" It, throughout the whole game, when the opposition have got the ball, are the line of coaches and parents shouting tackle? Tackle, tackle, as if they hadn't understood that you've got to mm. tackle the guy who's got the ball. 
Just going back to, finally, one word on Munster. Munster have never slowed to come through when there's been an imagined slight or even a real slight against their team. They still think that they lost because of the hand of back in a European final years ago. Uh, reaction to date uh, by the normal Munster fans and even their uh, their team to the fact that their Dr. Bonkers r- ran on and started insulting players, absolutely zip. Let's hope that's, that they are going to take action without ERC because it's gone crazy if that happens. Well, the, most, the, the thing that, that Munster should do is, is grab this before anyone else makes mm. a decision. I mean, it, it's sort of less than one in PR, isn't it? It's like, yeah. it, it's tackle it yourself, say, listen, our man really screwed up and we apologise and we're going to suspend him for a week or a month or, or, or maybe just execute him. But, but you've, got to do, you've got to do something like that, otherwise you're sitting there just, just looking foolish. Incidentally, have you mean to talk to you about politics, Bansy? Well, this is a rugby podcast. <laughs> can, we, can, we, okay. can, we, can we avoid all things political, Look, I, gents? I, I, you can have one name. Who would take the place of the triumphant Corbyn in your uh, socialist world? Just well, give us one name. It'll be interesting. Got, but let's have a rule here. It's got to come from the world of rugby. Jess Phillips I like, but I, oh. I think Rebecca Long-Bailey, right. uh, no. related to Mark Bailey, the former England winger, has a more left-wing agenda, which suits me. The world well, when we said when he said this person's got to come from the world of rugby, <laughs> it didn't quite, didn't quite trigger a thought that, did it? I'm yeah. looking forward to the Times Politics podcast Six Nations preview, though. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a belter yeah, well, as, well, as we get, swap yeah, roles. You get Barnsley, Jess Phillips, Mike Phillips... <laughs> Leslie Phillips, it'll be brilliant. Alex, um, just going back to the uh, Heineken Cup, Exeter, uh, probably a little bit quieter than Saracens, but are clearly targeting it. I mm. uh, just want a quick word from you two, but also uh, first from Alex. They're targeting it, they're going well, they're, they could well get a home draw. Have they got that extra class that the likes of Saracens and um, um, Leinster have that extra world class to take them from, say, losing finalists to tri- triumphant? Um, well, I think that the signing of Stuart Hogg gives them a world class player, no, um, no question. I, I think that the strength of of Exeter though has n- has never been the individual talents of, of of their players, but it's but it's the collective, isn't it? And I think why. Where they have have stumbled in recent years in Europe is is losing early games at home and the wind is out of the sails. Hmm. But I, it, it feels to me like they have established a confidence that they are going to be up in the top four of the Premiership. Now they're certain of it, and so they feels like they can they can target Europe perhaps in a way that they weren't able to previously because they were they were battling to establish themselves sure. as, as a front runner on another front yeah, yeah. as a front runner in, in the league and and, and they they won one title and, and came second twice it feels now like they're able to slightly shift their focus with, with the confidence that they will deliver in the league that's been that they've built up over 3 years that they Good for enough. That they, can, they can now target Europe and they've got match winners um Henry Slade is playing superbly Jack Knowles brilliant and Stuart Hogg obviously but for me it's the, it's, the, it's the collective that they have so do they have the players of Leinster and Saracens one on one no but they have something about them which, which I think could t- hopefully will take them deeper in the tournament because it would be really good to see that Steve, happen the, the, their coaches are revered but I think you have to say that it's taken Baxter and coaching company quite a while to work out Europe as well in the Premiership, they're very good at diving off the top, sealing ball, getting away with it, and and just playing possession rugby and grinding opposition down. They went to Europe, they played teams like Leinster, who were equally good at that, and they didn't get it. So I, I think it has to say, admirable as Exeter's coaching has been, they were naive in Europe for a while. They kick more now, 
and when they attack, they cut with more edge because, as you say, Alex, Hogg has made a big difference. Uh, and, you know, outside centre, Henry Slade oozes class. And why why Exeter messed around with him as a 10 and 12 for so long, I'll never know, because it was clear that he needed to be in that wider space. He could be one of the great 13s of the next decade. Owen, let me give you two teams, probably favourites at the moment, Leinster mm. and and. and Toulouse, God bless Toulouse, because it doesn't feel right if there's, unless there's a great French team in it. Leinster, Toulouse, are the teams to catch, do you think, in Europe now? Yeah, I do, I think quite clearly, actually. Leinster, still my favourites. Um, they obviously won two years ago, uh, losing finalists last year. They are a team of, they're an international team. Proven internationals, uh, they, they know how to do it. And I still slightly feel that Toulouse are a team that are... Um, are getting somewhere, going somewhere, going somewhere very fast. But they've got they've got these they've got their young players coming through, and and in two years' time, I think Toulouse will be magnificent. But I mean, that would be a hell of a final, wouldn't it? Alex, um, just come back to England now because some, something is what, what is winding me up a little bit, and that is the England performance. Oh, Sorry, but I mean, it's not unusual, is it? No. I didn't mean to knock you off your stride, okay. Stephen. Sorry, you were doing it. It was a good podcast, till okay. I messed it up there. <laughs> <laughs> What I was going to say was I'm really, really happy about the way that the England uh, teams are going, except for a few. Um, only t- if two England teams get into the semi-final, that's, that's fine. But, Alex, Harlequins v Ulster, they played them in a doubleheader. Mm. We all know, and the world knows, with respect to Ulster, if you can hold them to a, a decent uh, margin, even of defeat at home, then you can usually see them off. Uh, 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 when, when they're playing at home, you can usually see them off at your ground, in this case, Harlequins. Harlequins picked two really weakish sides when to have got the better of Ulster over two games would have put them right in pole position to challenge. What was all? What was that about? And was it about the fear of relegation? Was it about not being able to have your players for more than 30 games? Because I felt slightly devalued, or I would have done had I been a Quinns fan. I don't think it'd be the fear of relegation for Harlequins. Why not? Because I don't think they fear getting relegated. You think, they, you think they do? I, I think there's about half a dozen teams at the moment who look so devoid of look, I'm game a, understanding. I'm a compare. I'm Sorry, a compare. Steve. But I don't think it's. I don't think that's the drive. I think they. I don't think they would have looked at that group and thought they were going to go through. They'd be competing in the latter stages. So, so therefore, other elements come in, like players who've been to the World Cup have already played so many games. Mm. There's a limit of thirty that that these players can play over the course of of a season. So, so they look. Like Gloucester are the same. You know, I don't think Gloucester are fearing relegation. But they're also pretty aware that they're not going to go very far in the Champions Cup, and so they've they've rotated they rotated their team as well and lost over in, in Connaught. So they're they're keeping players back, not I think because they fear relegation necessarily, mm-hmm. but because but do, do, can I, because do, they need they, they, they need to rotate these squads. Can I say something? I know, I know you're the compare, Steve. And, yeah, okay. and it's going well, but as long as you keep that in mind, I just yeah. wonder. So, but Barnsley wrote about this this morning, and I, and mm. I thought he was he was spot on, as in the those those. English teams are, are targeting something else. They decided far too early, which is a, a, mm. a d- damning on the uh, European uh, uh, Heineken Cup. They've decided far too early that they're not going to compete in that. But I wonder if it's as much, or, or not so much the fear of relegation, though they, understandably they could have it, but everyone knows that they could win the, the bloody Premiership this year because Saracens aren't going to win it. And the top four could be, is likely to be Exeter and then who knows. Anyway, I, I could see the big clubs are at the bottom could... I mean, Bath have got a good enough squad to, if they actually got their game together, they, they 
man for man, on paper, they're as good as the teams at the top. So I think that they're, 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 they could be looking at it more that way. We could achieve something this season, where I don't think they can achieve something in Europe. I, I just uh, Before I come to Stuart, I'll just say that uh, if I was a Gloucester fan, in fact, I am partly a Gloucester fan, the people who went over there to see that one of the great clubs, they went out there to, to Connaught, which is difficult to get to. They were two scores up with about six minutes to go, and they completely collapsed at the end, mainly for the lack of two or three wise heads. Now, that that was bad enough, but if I think what we're saying now, and I'm not actually being critical of the teams for this, if we're saying that they just cannot fit in the European Champions Cup, which some of them can't, Stuart, isn't that a really bad thing to say about the season? Well, all I'd say this, we weren't slow north of the Channel to slate the likes of Cass and Bourguin and Agen when they were losing by 50 and 60 points. And teams like Bath right now have joined that category. You know, and what is the point, huffing and puffing, celebrating when they get a last-minute score at Leicester to make the Heineken Cup, when after two games they've given up on it? They're treating the tournament with contempt at the moment. They're treating it like a tournament that matters an awful lot less than the Premiership. And whilst hmm. in the press today I was being slightly facetious about the relegation, though I do think Harlequins and Bath are capable of going on losing mm-hmm. runs that put them right in the mix. I do believe that. The bigger problem really is... Um, an overarching cleverness from coaching. Uh, and they plot the season and they think, OK, we might get through as a best place uh, runner-up, but we won't beat to lose away in a quarter-final, so let's not bother. So you quit on that. And in the process of sort of downgrading your European aspirations, you actually inculcate a club with a sense of negativity. You think... I'm getting used to losing. The great teams are not used to losing. Saracens, you win, you win, you win. So the Saracens are a team who've um, rested players because they're having to manage them. Oh, that's completely different but, with Saracens, isn't it? Well, but it's it's the same it's the same issue. But they but because of the depth of their squad and and the way their group is, they're they're actually still in a very strong position to to go through because they, they could name they could leave out big name players at home to Munster and still win and get a losing bonus point. Yeah, away from yeah. isn't, isn't this all just a reflection of the, the fact that rugby doesn't work at the moment? The season's yeah. too long, they're playing too many games. I mean, Steve, you're right that the, the, the fans who went out to Connaught, they, they should feel pissed off that they didn't get their money's worth or didn't, didn't get their team's worth. But there are too many games and the coaches, I mean, funnily enough, they're all making the same decision. We can't play all our best players all the time. And it's no different to, to what they do in Ireland. It's just they don't play in the Pro 14, do they? Absolutely. So the, 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 mean, numbers, the, the numbers, last season, Saracens won the double, played 33 games. An England player who plays, say, 10 tests a year can only play 20 of those games for, for his yeah. club. So that's where some of these, this balancing is, is coming in and, and these clubs have, have taken a decision. And we're, we're five games into the Premiership. So I don't, you know, I don't think it's a relegation thing that, that's the fact, as you, as you mentioned. It was, I think it's more that, that they've, a lot of these clubs have chosen to attack the league rather, rather than Europe. And that's a, that is an indictment on, on Europe at the moment. But uh, the difference is, you say they've chosen to attack. I've watched them play in the Premiership and I don't see an awful lot of positive food about what they're trying to do. And I think this whole relegation thing, it's not that they think they'll get relegation, it's like there's a horrible sort of misly cloud mm, over yeah. the club. And they're thinking, if we go on a losing run, yeah. then we could, we could be in the scrap. Clubs like Leicester have been in the scrap. They think we can get in that scrap. And I think a team like Harlequins and Bath, in all honesty, if you went to the soul of that club and you said to the spectators, their fans, are you more likely to win a title or get relegated? They would say relegated. And because of that, 
I do believe that there's an element of negativity. And what is the point even bothering with Europe if yeah. you just think, unless we can win it, then, then let's give up. And that's what some of them have done. They've given up. Well, listening to Mark McCall on the weekend uh, saying, you know, I, I asked him, look, it, it must be a heck of a jug- juggle for you. He said, well, it's not. It's OK, really. But then he said, of course, he said, there's only seven weeks between losing our play, getting our players back from the World Cup, sorry, 11 weeks, and then got them buzzing off to the Six Nations. Two weeks' time, they got a mid- midweek England training session where Eddie bashes them like mad. Mm. And I'm sorry, I don't care if it's unions going bust, they cannot keep putting this on the clubs. The only way you can get the balance back and allow the clubs to play their players more often is to have fewer internationals. And I don't, don't care if they have to totally redo their finances. They've let them gallop completely out of control. And you've got to go back to two internationals at, 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 um, at, in the autumn, two on tour, few in the Five Nations. You cannot ever again have four uh, World Cup warm-up internationals. The, the imbalance and all the pressure is coming from the international scene and something has got to happen because they can't keep on taking the players away from their clubs. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species... Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, big news while we're actually in the studio for this podcast that Rob Howley, uh, the case of Rob Howley infringing the game's uh, rules of betting, uh, has been found guilty. He's been suspended for 18 months, but nine of those are suspended. So actually, uh, he can come back into the game on the 16th of June 2020. Uh, That's because the suspension is also backdated to his initial departure from the World Cup squad. So effectively, Owen, he's got nine months. Clearly been found uh, guilty of quite a significant offence there. Won't be able to do his job as, as coach of Italy, but will be back in the summer. Yeah, I mean, he hadn't been given the Italy job. He was just a front-runner for it, wasn't he? But uh, So I think the interesting thing now is what job, who will employ him next? As you say, he's not going to be the Italy coach, obviously. Uh, will other clubs and, and uh, national teams feel that he's too tainted to go near? I would, I would, I would hope not. No. So where do you think he he would he might end up? Bath. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that's not, that's not such a stupid well, suggestion. Well, it's not. I mean, Bath Bath have garnered a, a healthy relationship, shall we say, with uh, with the Welsh. West of the Seven. Yeah. Robert Howley would be more than happy to be at somewhere like Bath. They, they pay good money. Bruce Craig likes big name signings. 
I think a lot of it does depend on exactly the, the nature of what he's been found guilty of. He, Alex, just, um, Slotty's uh, basically quite sanguine about the fact that he, he might come back at the, at the end of his um, suspension. So, Stuart, I mean, we all know he's a really lovely fella, quite a humble fella, and we also know this has absolutely shattered him. Do you feel, would you feel as a club employee any problems with bringing him back? It's a hard question to answer because as we sit here, we haven't seen the full judgment and the full reasons behind how he went down the road he went down. We also don't know the odds on him getting a job again yet, do we? Slotty. Sorry, that was, was that a bad joke? <laughs> no, no, that's gratuitous. <laughs> <laughs> but on the face of it, I, I, I wouldn't. The reasons why we don't know yet, but he's made a, a horrible mistake and mm. he'll have been punished for it. And I think rugby should welcome him back into the game. Um, I think it would be to be the game would be doing itself a horrible disservice if it if it locked him out. That just um, leads me nicely into another aspect and possibly another destination for him. For our Welsh uh, listeners, this is a big weekend for them. The Dragons play the Scarlets, and the Ospreys play the Blues on Saturday. Um, one's at five fifteen, the other's at seven thirty-five, I think, and. Both have been really poor at the moment. The Ospreys appear to be on the verge of falling apart. None of them have really come through strongly. Dragons improving from a tiny base. Scarlets maybe looking fairly decent, or they might even lose their 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 new coach. So one team of those four will certainly welcome how they would have thought. But it's going to be fascinating. Warren Gatler's now gone, and the magician's gone. Wayne Pivak has got a really deal only with uh, the raw material he's got and some of it is not great so be very interested on the weekend to see those four teams in action so just just uh, for, from our howley chat so barnsey said uh, uh, i don't know maybe quite seriously could howley go to bath i mean bath certainly needs someone where is scott robertson going to go scott robertson was the the guy who didn't quite get the job as next all blacks coach so he's it's expected he's now going to go abroad wouldn't Bruce Craig, the, 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 the money bags at Bath, isn't that where he should go? Shouldn't he go straight out to New Zealand and say, Scott, you know, we, we employed the last Crusaders head coach, head coach and it didn't work, but we're going to have a go with you as well? That's, oh, that's a very fair point. And, and, and we, we, what we, we're just in the background now of, of um, the All Blacks uh, basically choosing between two and uh, ignoring Scott Robertson, who was massively, by 78%, the the, uh, the the popular choice. You wrote about this at the weekend, didn't you? Yes, I did. In a very intelligent way. Thank you very much. Well, um, It was ghosted. And, um, <laughs> the, 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 Scott Robertson has won the three... He's won three super trophies. Well, if you won three on the trot, and now you're miffed because someone else is coming above you, uh, maybe, maybe you will be available. So, who's going to be the person to tempt them? That's what you're asking. I, I think, can we just say, I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious that I'm not convinced by Stuart Hooper before he was appointed, since he was appointed, and what he's done in his time at appointment at Bath. But it is early into it, so you do actually need to give the bloke some sort of chance. So I, I'm, I'm not advocating Howley right now, but if Bath have a really bad season, uh, and that is a possibility, even with some very fine players coming back, then Bruce Craig will be thinking again, and that's why Howley came up. And on the subject of Robertson, you know, I, I think at Bath, uh, they got hold of Blackadder and they thought, get a big name from New Zealand. And there's a sort of logic to that, but that didn't work. And, and I think you'll find that Craig still fancied another big name. And the club decided that the better idea was to promote from within. And it's a question of Bruce Craig thinking, right, to the sort of rugby board at the club, I gave you a chance, you got it wrong. Scott Robertson, he could say he won 
three super titles. I mean, the thing is with... with so you're suggesting that Bruce Craig was persuaded yeah, I, to, I, to put a point Hooper by the board. I, I thought Bruce Craig made every decision. I would say that Bruce Craig did not make the decision other than the final ticking for Stuart Hooper. I think, right. I think okay. Bath felt they had to go within. I thought there was a... There was a movement, and the atmosphere around the West Country town at the time wanted it, and I think Hooper was identified as the one most likely. My view was it was a case of... Can you, can Alex, you, Alex can I just uh, go to Alex? Scott Robertson, really a bullion character, like surfing, really out there, uh, uh, worldly, a bit like the average uh, New Zealander isn't. I like surfing. And, and, and okay... I don't know what that's going to do with it. Maybe cricket name the places who wouldn't want to have him. Yeah. Because you've probably got the whole French First Division, probably Leicester. You've got the four Welsh clubs who probably like him. You can almost name his price. And what a challenging and exciting thing it would be. Where do you think he'd go? Stade Francais? Could go to Stade. I just wonder. I was really interested. I thought he'd get the All Blacks job. I thought mm. they had given them the way the World Cup went for them and, and what they how they are underachieved. I thought they'd move away from that, that sort of the, the dynasty that started with Graham Henry back in 2004. But they've only given Foster a two-year deal, mm. Yeah. Mm. which immediately puts him on trial. Yeah. You know, he's got to deliver with, with a squad that doesn't have, a, a, it doesn't have its captain anymore. But Brody Retallick is on sabbatical, doesn't have Kieran Reid, doesn't have Ben Smith. He's got to build a leadership group in, in two years and maintain the, the standards that... that that New Zealand expect in order to to be reappointed for the World Cup. But what about? The I just wonder whether Scott Robertson might sit and sit and wait. The New Zealand Rugby Union, incidentally, uh, all the player, the people like um, like Gatland and um, Rennie and all the other guys and uh, who taken jobs elsewhere weren't available. They claimed in their official release they'd spoken to twenty nine coaches. Well, the 29 who were available, they must have been down to the well, assistant groundsman. They, they invited all those coaches to apply. Right. And the, and the front runners, or some of the leading candidates didn't want it. And they right. ended up only interviewing Ian Foster and Scott Robertson, and they gave it to okay. Foster, but only on a two-year deal. Okay. And I wouldn't, you know, which brings us to a really interesting point in two years' time when, as it stands, Eddie Jones is out of contract, Warren Gatlin will have done the Lions, and Ian Foster's out of contract. Dun, right. dun, dun. I mean, we're going ahead now. We're really looking forward. But anyway, I wouldn't be surprised if he stays in New Zealand and waits, for, waits it out for two years to see. Let's hope that nothing tragic happens to the all-black results either and that, that they, keep, <laughs> they keep the hacker going long into the future. <laughs> we're just going to discuss now the Tyrrell's Premier 15s. We had an absolutely monumental weekend and arguably, I think, the greatest match the Tyrrell's Premiership has ever seen in its, in its third year. Uh, it was between Harlequins and Saracens. Quins were top of the table by a point, having won eight games, all with a bonus point. Playing Saracens, the reigning champions. It really was the uh, massive stuff. And um, those of us who were at the Saracens men's game against Munster kept on hearing um, what were for Saracens really, really worrying stories. They were down 24-0. Marley Packer, the Saracens and England Franker. At that stage, 24-0 down Marley. How are you feeling? A bit blown away, to be honest. We knew Harlequins would come out the blocks at us, but we thought uh, we'd come out the blocks as well, which we didn't. So half-time, um, our coach, Alex Osprey, came in, just gave us a couple of home truths, said what needed to be said, and 
we had a couple of other discussions within that, but the fact was the first half, we just couldn't get hold of the ball. And then when we did get hold of it, we didn't look after it. Just before half time, we actually did, we did score a try. So we went in um, 24-7 at half time, um, last play of the, that half. We just knew we needed to keep that tempo. Saracens are really good at when we've got a high tempo game and keep going forward. That's what we went out and did in that second half. And I think the belief within the squad to just keep going the fence at the end of the game was just fantastic from the whole the whole the whole squad. Because I mean that that's another thing that made it a fantastic game. When you did come back with this incredible comeback, you then had to defend on your own line for the last few minutes. So at one stage you looked like it might swing back the other way. Yeah, it felt like unbelievable scenes really. We I think we just got up in front of Harlequins, then we scored a try quite quickly afterwards. And then I think there was probably about four or five minutes left of the game and Harlequins restarted. Um, unfortunately, there was a knock-on, but a player offside that picked it up. So they got the penalty, they kicked the touch, they drive in line out. Then we managed to obviously stop them going over the line. And the defence, like our line speed was, was just brilliant, to be fair. And then, Unfortunately, uh, about a minute before the end of the game, we 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 seen a yellow card for an infringement in de- in defence, um, which then we had to bring on uh, our original hooker Yanni. We scrummed down. I knew at that time because I'd asked the referee how long we got left, and he mm. was like, "This will be last play." Um, and they just picked and picked. So we just knew that if they come over the line, we just have to hold it up. Mm-hmm. We hold it up, then that'd be the end of the game. The final whistle when it when it went, it was just relief amazement and just just the belief within the squad was just just there and it was quite magical at that point that's a brilliant 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 description of it also i understand that one of the saracens flankers scored a hat-trick is that was that correct yeah that's me i know it was (laughs) molly um that now puts you back in the in the in the kind of driving seat but what's your impression of the tournament as a whole finally because uh, suddenly, there always seemed to be a, a real core of decent players around the England team. But now this tournament is throwing up player after player, is it not? Yeah, um, I think so. And, and I think you can see that. Like I was talking about Mackenzie then from Canada. You've got internationals coming from um, Italy, Ireland, all over the place wanting to play in the TP15s. And I just think that shows like, the investment that the RFU have put in. Um, obviously, the, the league um, sponsor Tyrrells, um, just how, how good that's been for the women's game. And we're now into our third year at um, being the Tyrrells Premiership. And it, 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 I think it's a fantastic case of sh- like, um, showcase of women's rugby. Arguably the greatest Tyrrells Premiership game ever played. Well played to Saracens, but also well played to Harlequins as well. Marley Packer, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Marley Packer, one of the comeback queens at the Stoop on the weekend. What a game. Right, the three August men in front of me, so-called because when you ask them for an idea, it's August before they come back. We're going to go for our God or Goddess of the Week, an absolutely massively coveted title. Stuart, do you want to... Have, give us your first god or goddess of the week. I don't differentiate between god and goddess. It's that era we live in now. Um, so god actually could be female as well. 
Right, okay. So as long as you know that, Steve. Yeah. I like someone. Well, but who, if it's a goddess, would, would that be female? Would she it be could, no, it could ma- be male. It could be male, it could go- be male as well. Male yes. goddess, okay. So my goddess oh. of the week um, <laughs> yeah. is John Cooney. I like it when you say something on the ruck and a couple of days later. This person franks what you said and make you look as if you know what you're doing. That's never happened to me. Before. Last week, I said <laughs> Cooney must start instead of Conor Murray. And against Harlequins on Friday night, he produced his best performance in a sequence of magnificent performances. If you cancelled or you froze this year's Heineken Cup now, everybody on the panel would have to make him the player of the tournament. And more importantly, Andy Farrell has to make him the island number nine. He is in magical form. He is my goddess stroke god of the week. OK, thank you very much for that modest uh, pre- presentation, Barnsley. God, that's um, hard to so follow, the, isn't the it? So the goddess of the week is Mrs Cooney. Yeah, my <laughs> goddess of the week is a Gloucester player, actually. Right. Um, I, know we, I know we've been panning Gloucester on this uh, podcast, but um, Louis Rees Zamet. I don't, I don't know if I pronounced his name right. Yes, um, you he did. He, he's the, he's the, the, the new young sensation at Gloucester this season. He's lightning fast. He's only about 15 years old. And he uh, just I, I'm just selecting him for, for one extraordinary piece of skill at the weekend. Uh, he was released down the, down the right wing. He was going hell for leather. He beat, beat 73 people, but finally he was being caught. And uh, uh, in the process of being bundled into touch, behind his back with his right hand, he flicked a, a, an offload inside, which uh, produced a try. It was a uh, a dream moment. And um, if you, he is 18, actually, and uh, maybe that's one of those things about youth that they'll do stuff because that's just because they like doing it. So more of that, please. Great moment. Very good one. So last night I watched Sports Personality of the Year, and I'm going to slightly cheat if you allow me and just name Alan Wynne Jones. And Doddy Weir, who who both I thought represented themselves. First of all, secondly, rugby brilliantly on a stage where I think they got nine million viewers at one point, and it's mm. a general sports audience. A general, it's not a rugby audience. And Alan Wynn was never going to win that award, but uh, I just thought he he was brilliant up on stage with what he said. And and Doddy Weir, Doddy Weir's story was was told to, to more people than than perhaps knew it already. Um, so. I'm going to give it my joint award to two outstanding lock forwards. I thought that was a good suggestion. It's very good. You, like usually that. we insist you come up with a winner, but far be it from any of us to ask you to choose between those two great men. That's very good. Mine is a goddess, uh, and it would be Marley Packer, not just because I spoke to her this morning, and I'm scared that if I meet her in the high street, she might object. But Marley, <laughs> I could not get her to admit for one second that when they were 86-0 down at half-time, that for, that they ever thought of defeat, sorry, 24-7 down at half-time, that they ever thought of losing the game. Marley is a force of nature. Uh, she's an absolutely tremendous player. She used to be a plumber and really had to work hard to, to make the rugby pay for her. And if ever anyone deserved professionalism, and if ever anyone deserved the glory of a hat-trick, I think it was Marley on... Saturday at that incredible game. So Marley's my goddess of the week. And I have to say, we got five great choices there. Well, we've named some goddesses here. Some of them have slightly indeterminate sex, according to (laughs) Barnsley. Thank you for listening to The Ruck this week. We'll be back next week before Christmas, at which Lawrence has graciously consented not to be here again. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.